a pop of beer or a cold libation, I can tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start up with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slogan, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Yeah, Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I'm going to apologize in advance if you hear dogs in the background. We've got people outside treating for mosquitoes, and the dogs are running around and a little bit agitated, but they'll get over it. Today, I want to talk about a recent session of Reaver, the upcoming sword and sorcery role-playing game from Raven Guy Games that I'm fortunate enough to be part of the playtest for. We had a lot of fun in it, and some interesting things happened. You know, Reaver, it's a big part of why the, this has been so fun. We've been doing this campaign for a bit over a year now. And one of the reasons, of course, is Joe Salvador, the mastermind behind Raven Guy Games. Because he has such a mastery of the sword and sorcery genre and does such a great job running the game. But the game mechanics also really support the genre. And you feel like big heroes, very capable, but failure is always an option. And we failed a couple times. And, you know, it came out some interesting results. It luckily, it didn't totally bite us in the butt, but it could have. So I also am going to have the mailbag opened up today. We've got a bunch of calls backed up. I've been doing some long episodes lately. I had a joint episode with Rob from Down the Heap where we talked about the Wolfman. And, you know, I can't add calls to that. And so I've got calls kind of backed up. I'm going to get through about half of the backed-up calls today, and hopefully I'll have another episode at the end of the week that will have the other half of the backed-up calls. But please keep giving me that feedback. I love getting listener feedback, so don't hesitate to keep calling in. All the ways to reach me are in the show notes. But with that said, let's go ahead and get in the show. How about before we get into that recap, we hear from the Raven God himself, Joe Salvador. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house. All right, hey Jason. Figured I would, uh, I'd record an unboxing for you today. Um, I mentioned I picked up something uh, that you, I guess you missed out on. Uh, so we're going to see what's up. I got, uh, let me see, let me measure it. I guess that's the protocol. It's going to be about eight and a half, maybe about uh, 12 inches wide. About 18 inches long and about 16 inches high. That was the hand's breadth uh, measurement. Um, going to use my uh, Hisatsu folder from CRKT. Uh, it's a great little knife designed by um, James Williams, who uh, does some Japanese martial arts, Aikido and uh, Kenjutsu, Yaido. Let's see. All right. 
so the outside of this box, I should say, uh, has a, a very st distinctive label, Simon, uh, which uh, obviously is the cool minis or not. Um, now I can't look close the knife. There we go. All right, so we're going to pop this open. And inside we have, looks like, two large boxes. Clearly labeled Masters of the Universe, the board game. <clears throat> okay, so we got the Box of Power and Clash for Eternia. Uh, let's see here. Let's take out these really well packaged um, of uh, styrofoam corners around the boxes. And then there's a little bit of bubble wrap, not too much. And we have a um, third box, a smaller one. And this is, let's see here. Wrath of Snake Mountain. Awesome. Okay, so we have got a gazillion miniatures in here. Yeah, King Hiss and all that. Let's go back to uh, the main board game here. Clash Returnia. So this is um, some great box art. Really cool stuff. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, 34 plastic models. Uh, cubes, dice, uh, dashboards, uh, battlefield. Very cool. Um, I'll crack that open and take a picture of one of some of the miniatures for you and send it to you. And then uh, let's see, the Box of Power is, I believe this is all of the, um, uh, the stretch goal miniatures. And it looks to be, let's see, 61 miniatures in here, along with some tokens, uh, cards, terrain, and a scenario book. Yeah, man, this looks pretty amazing. Um, I don't know when I'm ever going to get to paint all of these, uh, but... Yeah, hopefully at least we'll get, get it to the table at some point. Anyway, yeah, very cool. Um, I'll chat with you soon, man. Later. Joe, thank you so much for that guest unboxing of the Masters of the Universe miniature game there. I should have backed it probably, but I've got so many games here that I'm never going to play that I'm actually in the process of selling. It seems kind of silly to be buying more that I'm probably never going to play. <laughs> Let me ask you, though, to please get that to the table and call it back in and let me know how it plays, what the game is like. Don't worry about painting the miniatures. You don't have to paint the miniatures to play with them at home. I know some people are really into getting the miniatures painted and there's nothing wrong with that, but don't let unpainted miniatures stop you from playing a game. I have the Monolith Conan board game from, what, a decade ago? And the miniatures aren't painted yet, but we definitely do play it and it's a fun game. Unless you're going to a games workshop tournament or something like that, I, I don't think it really, anybody really cares if the miniatures are painted or not. As far as the unboxing, great job. If anybody's interested in the knife that Joe used there, there's a link to it in the show notes. You can go check it out. And I appreciate Joe calling that in because, you know, that is something I missed out on. So now, Reaver. I told you I was going to do a Reaver recap. I don't want to go too in-depth. Because this game has been going on over a year. I've talked about it off and on the podcast. And I don't want to recap the whole history. But we're kind of at an important point in the campaign. So the campaign started in the city of Draxium. And we were all in the city. And the city was overthrown. There was an invasion force that came into the city. And the Red Wizards helped the invaders. And they brought the Stone of Power in with them. And that, this magic artifact helped them in the overthrow of the city. Well, we went through a number of adventures, and we finally ended up in the Valley of the Mists. And the Valley of the Mists is where the Red Wizards got this stone, this artifact of power. And 
there are burial grounds in the Valley of the Mists, and these burial grounds predate humanity in this game world. And one of our characters, Carl Rodriguez, the Gemologist Presents character, as Gold the Lame, can commune with his ancestors. And their ans and his ancestors in like dream state and things have explained to him that, you know, these these things buried there predate humanity. You know, whether they're ancient aliens or elder gods or whatever they are, you know, their tech level is much higher than the game world is now. And for the most part, they're not our friends, right? There's definitely evil and corruption and things like that. And because some of these artifacts have been moved, the mists are spreading. There's undead throughout the Valley of the Mists. When, when you kill something in there, it doesn't necessarily stay dead. Um, there's all kinds of bad things happening there. So we, we ended up in the Valley of the Mists, and the Red Wizards are there as well. And they're trying to excavate these tombs to find more of these artifacts. And there are also tribes that live in the Valley of the Mists. And the Red Wizards have allied themselves with the Skull Tribe, where we've allied ourselves with the Bear Tribe. And we attacked one of their excavation sites, and we managed to get some artifacts, one of which was this crystal key. It's more like a big railroad spike, but, and it's got gold leaf on it, and it's very intricate. But it's the key, and according to Carl's character's ancestors, the, the key, or I don't remember if they told him. Anyway, some, somehow we found out this key would be used to summon this ancient evil. And so we definitely don't want the Red Wizards to get the key. But we just finished, uh, last session, a big climactic battle where the two tribes went at it, and we were there integral in the battle, and the tribes effectively wiped each other out. There's only a handful of people, a handful of warriors left in each tribe. And at the end of that battle, the Red Wizard's chiefess, the chieftain, the, the lady wizard that's in charge of them, actually grabbed the chieftain, who's also a woman, from the bear tribe, and is holding her ransom and, and told us if we don't turn the key over, you know, we the bear tribe won't get their chieftain back and, and to bring the key to, to, to the, the Skull Tribe location. So, beginning of the session, we're on our way to the Skull Tribe's area, but we don't want to give her this key because we don't want, you know, to let this ancient evil back in the world. So, what we decide to do is to, to damage the key to put a, because it's like this crystal. And we figured if we put a flaw in the crystal, if we crack it, then maybe it'll blow up when she tries to use it, you know, in, in movie logic, right? And, and so I mentioned that the system really helps with the fiction, the in-game fiction, because you get to be big heroes and you feel very capable. And it's a die chain system where the, the better you are, the larger die size you roll. But you can always fail. And the higher, the higher you roll, the better it is. Well, actually, that's not, that's not true. It's either pass or fail. But if you roll under a certain number, you're always going to fail. Well, rolling low is bad. And one of the characters, Joe Richter's character, uh, Wolfgar, was examining this this key, this crystal, looking for the best place to for us to try to crack it, to put a hairline crack in it. And he rolled a one, which was a failure. So he couldn't figure out the best place to put it. But of course he doesn't know he he doesn't know where the best place to put it. So he says, Oh yeah, we should do it here. And, you know, we're playing along. So my character, who's probably the most dexterous uh, of the group, the most agile of the group, he's a he's a thief, Brutus the the bald, he he gets in there and he goes to crack it, and I also rolled a one. 
So I actually hit too hard and and we split this thing. It did not totally in pieces, but it but really damaged it where it's kind of, you know, obviously cracked, obviously damaged. And then Carl's character as gold, because with the gold leaf and the gold plating on this thing, he we built the fire up and he was able to to meld the, you know, soften the gold enough to melt it in there to kind of hold it together. So at least at a quick glance, it looks like it'd be okay. And so we, we go off to do this trade. And, and, and we're there in the Valley of the Mists, and we, we get in there into the Skull Tribe's area, and we f find the remnants of the Skull Tribe, and they're like, no, the Outlanders are over there, and they don't want any more of any of us. Any, you know, they, their, their tribe's been decimated here, and they, they don't want any more truck with the Red Wizards or with us. So we, we go to meet, and, and the Red Wizards are waiting in this stone circle, like, you, you know, like Stonehenge kind of thing. And, you know, Joe's character, uh, Joe Richter's character, Wolfgar, can feel the corruption in this thing. And, and, you know, he passed that on to us. You know, this is a really corrupt place and bad, but we have to go do the trade. So Brutus walks forward, and they have one of their, and, and they have the priest, or not the priest, it's the chieftain, hanging on this tree and there's also all these other corpses and skeletons and all these things hanging on the tree and this big huge tree ancient tree and so we said we're gonna do this trade so they cut her down from the tree and they bring her forward and, and we go slowly in the middle and we do the trade and i'm backing out and, and as i'm backing out the other party members decide to attack and so we end up in this battle and and we actually win we, we, we take the, the, the Red Wizards out. They were already weakened from the previous battle. They'd used a lot of the magic and not had a chance to, I guess, recharge their magic. And, and so we, we did finally beat them. But at the same time, to the south, we, we're hearing these, all these noises. And Laszlo, one of our fighters, goes down there. He's on a horse. And, and he, to see what's going on, he's actually chasing down one of the wizards that was running away. And... He sees these skeletal warriors with glowing eyes and this armor, like plate mail armor that's more advanced than anywhere else in this world. So it's, you know, this ancient tech. And they're destroying boats, which were the Red Wizard's boats. And so he comes back. He's like, we need to get out of here. And so we start hauling butt. And we, what we didn't do was loot the body of the, the head of the Red Wizards because on her, she had the stone that we were coming to try to get. And you know, I'm sure she has all kinds of other great artifacts and stuff too. But importantly, we need to get this one stone and put it back in the tower to try to recede the mist some. So we, we run off without even thinking about that because the other thing was happening. It, by this time, the tree had started to animate and the tree limbs were reaching out and grabbing the, the bodies and the, and the freshly dead and even the wounded from this battle we just had with the Red Wizards and pulling them into the tree. And... And so we, we hauled butt to get away from the tree, but, you know, we ended on the note that, oh, crap, we have to go back and get this artifact off, you know, this lady's body who now the tree has a hold of. So that's going to be what we'll have to do next session, which ought to be interesting. But, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Reaver's a great game. Like I say, check out the quick start. If you ever get to play in a game with Joe Salvador, I highly recommend it. And I'll definitely let you know when the Kickstarter kicks off. But that said... Let's go on to a call from one of the other players in the game, Joe Richter of Hindsightless. 
Yo, what up, Jason? Calling because I just finished listening to your Nemesis episode that you put out with Carl. You guys did an awesome job, man. It, it really must be nice for you to have somebody on the show to, that knows how to talk about movies. <laughs> you and Carl got into, you know, the themes, the characters, the actors, all that stuff. I just kind of talked about how I thought the movies were awesome. <laughs> Anyway, man, you guys did an awesome job. Nice work, Carl. Nice work, Jason. That was great. Can't wait for the next pun episode because they're really cool, man. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited to hear more. Nemesis sounds like a really fun movie. And yeah, as far as the gameability of it, I loved the idea of getting hired by the bad guy to go perform. You know, that's such a trope in role-playing games where the the shady wizard in the corner that hires the adventuring group for their first adventure turns out to be the big bad guy in the end, and you've just been collecting artifacts for him so he can summon the ancient lord or become the ancient evil. You know, it, it's 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 a it's a trope for a reason because it's awesome man but like you guys talked about if you do it all the time your characters your players i mean will never trust you again man um they're just gonna murder every npc that they come across he's an actual super wizard kill him so yeah but it is a really fun trope i think it's cool and yeah, again, I can't wait for the next pun episode. And I really, really can't wait for the next monster episode with you and Rob. That's coming out soon, I think. I think it's coming soon. Anyway, dude, have a good one. We'll talk later. Peace out. Wait a minute, Joe. You're telling me in that Barbarians of Lemuria game that I ran, when the kindly priest named Pazuzu hired your group to find a tomb of ancient evil in the ziggurat hidden in the jungle, you didn't think he had good intentions? You weren't shocked when he turned on you when you finally were at the top level of the ziggurat? I, I don't know what to say. Tropes are tropes for a reason, and I think we expect them in games to some degree. It's always nice to have twists, but if Pazuzu turned out to always have been a kindly priest and hadn't turned on you, what fun would that have been, really? I don't. I agree with you. You shouldn't do it all the time, but every now and then's okay. Uh, Carl did a great job in that review, just like you've done a great job on the Albert Pun movies you've reviewed. I don't think that there's one way to review a movie. You know, we're not giving these movies scores. I don't have a rating system set up. We're just giving our impressions of the movie and talking about it. And if the action bits and the fun bits are what fire you up, that's a hundred percent what we should be talking about. You know, next month in the May episode or the May installment for the pun retrospective, Daniel Norton of Bandit's Keep is going to join me to talk about Omega Doom. And there's not a lot of action in that movie, so we have to talk about other things. But if that movie had been action packed, we would have talked a lot more about action. So I think it just depends on the reviewer and the movie and, you know, where it goes. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Mentioning Carl and Daniel. I also want to say that we recently recorded an episode of Cerebrivore where we talk about James Bond 007 role-playing game from the 80s. It's a fun episode. It comes out at the end of the month. I believe April 28th is when that'll be published on the Cerebrivore feed. If you go in my show notes, you'll see a link to Cerebrivore, so watch for that episode. It's a lot of fun. But since sending this message, 
Joe has listened to the episode where Rob from Down the Heap and I discuss the Wolfman, and he has a little bit of feedback on that. Hey, what's up, Jason? Just got finished listening to your and Rob's uh, Universal Monster episode on the Wolfman for the second time, because the first time I used it to help me fall asleep, because you two have such nice, lovely voices that helped me fall asleep, and it was very nice and peaceful and soothing. And then I had to wake up and listen to it again. And it was awesome, man. You got I, I, I really want to check out because you know I watched I watched The Mummy and I loved it. After watching it, I was like, holy crap, this movie rules. So hearing you guys talk such good stuff about uh Wolfman makes me really want to see this movie. And that got me thinking. It's so crazy. Like we talk a lot of we talk a lot of trash about technology. I do it, you do it, a lot of folks do it. Oh, and that's another thing I want to point out. Not everybody sees Marvel movies. I don't see Marvel movies. Anyway, back to technology. Technology has a lot of downfalls, but I just think it's crazy how these movies 80 years later are easier to see than when they first came out. You know? Like <laughs> they're easier to see if you didn't live near a movie theater that was showing that movie for the brief time it probably played in theaters, you weren't seeing it. And then you want, might never see it. And now you could just watch it whenever you want. And ah, that's just gnarly. That's totally crazy. So I can't wait for Creature from the Black Lagoon. I can't wait for the Monster Mashup episodes. I'm just excited to hear you guys talk about movies. Anyway, dude, have a great rest of your day. Peace out. Joe, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope you get out and see The Wolfman, 1941, Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr. Excellent, excellent movie. Very well done. I, I think I like it more than Rob does, but I, we both agreed it's definitely a must-see. Now, you mentioned being hard to see movies back then, and you're not wrong. One thing they did used to do is they reissued them. So every five or seven years, something like that, you know, they would come back in the theaters and they'd run them again. And, you know, not a ton of times, but there were chances to rewatch them. And then, of course, once television came out, we got to watch them. There was this thing that modern, our, our, my younger listeners probably aren't familiar with, called UHF. And we, the channels we had back before there was cable TV and before HBO existed and back before everything was based on the internet and streaming. You, you had these UHF channels, which were kind of local channels, and the way the they usually did their movies is they would do theme months or theme weeks, actually. You know, so we might do monster movies this week or we might do whatever, this action movies this week, and then they'd have reruns during the day and stuff. But there, there's often chances to watch these movies at home on those UHF channels, right? And and sometimes even on more mainstream channels, but I digress. You're not wrong, though. These days, it's so much easier to see all these films. You know, you can get online, and it's probably streaming somewhere. There are some exceptions. Um, Albert Pun's 1992 movie, or 1993 movie, Nights, which is actually the middle of his Cyborg trilogy, you pretty much have to buy a bootleg DVD to see it. And that's a shame that it's not out there somewhere. But most of his movies are available. And his movies are pretty obscure. And there are even other movies that are much more obscure that we can find easily streaming these days. So we definitely live in a great time if you're a movie lover. No question about it. Okay, that's enough about movies for today. 
because we have other important things to talk about. I'm going to let Sam introduce Anthony. Anthony, of course, is also known as Rinslinger from the Casting Shadows Media Empire. Sam, to my knowledge, doesn't have a podcast or a blog or anything, but Sam is very knowledgeable about a lot of these games. And Sam sent me a number of calls. This call was actually sandwiched between a couple other ones, but I cut it out because it's a perfect segue to Anthony's. The rest of Sam's calls you're going to hear next episode. Funny enough, you're only going to hear a part of Anthony's call this episode as well because he talks about both martial arts and complexity in role-playing games. And next episode is all about complexity in role-playing games, where the rest of the calls this episode are about martial arts. So without further ado, here's Sam. I just also like to talk about Anthony's call in episode 477. Um, really great. Um, he did a great analysis of the tactic skill. And I think we both use tactics the same way, but he gave a much clearer explanation of how um, how we actually put it into practice. So um, thanks, Anthony, very much for that call. Hey, Jason. It's Anthony calling in from the road. Um, I have two responses to things. The first part is about role-playing games that feature... Uh, system elements that allow you to do the my kung fu is better than yours okay my kung fu is not better than yours but this other kung fu that I know is better than yours kind of switching back and forth um, and unsurprisingly I'll be talking about ubiquity for that which is kind of cool for me and I'm calling in the middle of your episode emulating Daniel Norton if I'm correct in that I'm pulling a Norton in order to respond to a question by Daniel Norton. All right, well, first things first, the switching styles. Um, I think that your experience with White Wolf's combat game might be one thing that you could bring to this conversation really well with the way that, that it talked about styles and what comprised the style and how you deployed the cards and, and that sort of stuff. But I'll leave that in, in your court. I want to talk about ubiquity. <laughs> so in All for One, Régime Diabolique, which is the first ubiquity game put out by Triple A's Games, a Musketeers, Supernatural France uh, role-playing game, there were fencing styles. And that system uh, is quite simple and fast, and was then later repurposed uh, back in the original game, Hollow Earth Expedition, in... Uh, Revelations of Mars, the Mars supplement, where it was used for a variety of different fighting styles, but the same system is there. And the system breaks down, well, what is a fight really, right? So you have attacks of various types like thrust and cut, and you've got parry and uh, like tricks and things like this. So it's broken down into uh, a variety of options that you might do, and different styles are given different values of bonus for those, those different uh, activities in combat, those combat activities. And so like you were saying, martial arts often are just a bonus or a penalty or something along those lines to represent the style as a whole. All this really does is zoom in just a little bit further to give you uh, an idea of, you know, is this a very aggressive style which is weaker on defense and it's gonna have a bonus to some kind of attack and it's going to have a penalty to some kind of defense, that kind of thing. So you 
it really does feel, in a sense, as you are engaging in fencing with an enemy swords person, you start to figure out, um, you know, why do they keep thrusting? You know, in in my style, thrusting is at a disadvantage. I'm, you know, I'm more of a uh, uh, a cut and parry riposte kind of swordsman, whereas this guy, you know, is holding his ground and keeps thrusting and go, oh right, you know, he's he's the position of iron uh, fencing style, and so you know he wants to remain rooted. I have to to uh, to move in on him. So therefore, I really need to try this other style, which has me being more mobile, that kind of thing. And so we're countering out each other's bonuses and trying to maximize uh, the advantage from each other's penalties. It's kind of fun. You don't have to memorize all the styles or, or anything like that, uh, but if you do. It even gives you something to talk about in character, in game, uh, which I which I kind of enjoy. So, when it's applied to other martial arts, it works exactly the same things, you know, with, with blocks and punches and kicks and and uh, using weapons or not, and uh, and that sort of stuff. So, I find that to be a fun way to do it, and it's something that can be added into to other games, you know, as a as a GM determined modifier or as just a good timing for the toll booth. Um, you know, the, the the game master can simply assign some kind of bonuses or, or build a chart, or it could be done through discussion uh, by talking about the relative power of different attacks and, and sort of stuff from, from watching your favorite kung fu movies. But, to get on to what Daniel was saying. Hey Jason, Daniel from Bands Keep calling in about Stan's call about the martial arts styles, and you know where I'm going to go with this. Probably as soon as you hear my voice, Chainmail fantasy combat, right? You just put one style against the other. You it creates a number that is the basically the target number, and that's it. So choosing different styles matters because if you choose dragon style against their ogre style, it changes the entire game. So, yeah, I think that that worked pretty well. So I'm curious whether people come up with this, but that's the most simple way I can think about. It. And uh, yeah, good good uh, good thought uh, experiment there. Okay, first I want to thank Anthony. I'm not going to try to expand on anything Anthony said because he covers it very well. As far as the White Wolf Street Fighter game, you, you mentioned experience. I I should have mentioned it back when we started talking about this. I kind of wanted to generate some calls in. So I actually haven't played that. I only bought it last year, and I'm looking forward to running it. And I've got a group that's interested in playing it, but... I haven't actually had it to the table yet, so I don't have any first-hand experience. But, yeah, I definitely see what you're saying with that, so maybe we'll talk about that in the future. As far as Daniel's first call, because there's another call coming up, yet, you know, it's funny, because Chainmail fits in this so well, and it's the idea that you can use Chainmail for any game in any genre, and you really can. I've got an episode a year ago or something like that where I talked about using Chainmail for horror games, and and it really would work well for that. And your idea here to use the chain mail, the charts and chain mail for the different Kung Fu styles, it's ingenious. And, and, and I, it's right in front of us, you know, this beautiful chart that does it. So, wow. Very cool. Okay, let me turn it back over to Daniel. Hey, Jason, Daniel again, uh, continuing to listening. Continuing to listening. Huh. Continuing to listen and... 
uh, you know, heard Collins call and everything. And of course, the first thing I thought of with that, because he said rock, paper, scissor was top secret, right? Because people uh, often refer to the combat and hand to hand combat and top secret being rock, paper, scissors. And there's actually even swordplay. So that would be a good system for that. That would be a great system for that, honestly. And as you were talking about the idea of different styles, right? Uh, I love the idea of, of a like a Shaw Brothers style uh, Kung Fu, you know, vibe. And you like announce your style. It's not blind. So instead of it being like a blind uh, thing, you would say, I get into the dragon stance. I'm just using the names from the fantasy combat. Uh, and the other guy would be like, I'm going to get into the ogre stance. So you could actually look at it and go, oh, man, you know, probably what I would do is roll initiative and the losing side would have to state their stance. So you would say like, OK, I'm going to do hero. And then they would look and then the opponent could look at whatever they have available to them. And they might say, oh, well, you know, Trant is be- is good against hero. So I'll use that style. And that could be kind of cool. It'd be cool. I mean, again, I'm just using the names from Fantasy Combat so they don't make sense. But you would do stuff like, you know, Grasshopper or whatever styles you want to use. But I really like that idea of the uh, the styles in the martial arts. I think that's really cool. You know, I don't love the idea of it just giving you extra something, you know. Because what does that really do then? What, what does that do except give you bonuses? And wouldn't a player just figure out which one is always better, right? Actually, you know what I'm thinking? I was thinking fantasy combat at first, but maybe the man-to-man combat chart's better, where there are def- definitive, like, okay, the the mace style is better against the plate mail style than the sword style is, but the sword style is better against the leather style than the mace, you know. Again, I'm using the terms that are on the sheet because it's just easier to understand it. So I think either way, uh, in summary, top secret is awesome for uh, rock, paper, scissors, swashbuckling. And OD&D, as usual, is my pick for just about everything else. <laughs> you know, the idea that OD&D is the best, not the best, the the idea that OD&D might be the only role-playing game you need, and if you could only have one one role-playing system, one rule system, that OD&D would cover all your bases comes up quite a bit. In fact, in Daniel's latest episode of Time Recording that came out on April 16th of 2023, Roguish Bard, Shape Changers, and Single Player OD&D, that idea gets some talk about on that episode where Chicago Wiz calls in, talks about how it was adapted for Ultima, and Daniel talks about how versatile it is for different things. Um, OD&D really is very versatile because it is so lightweight. But there are rules and ways to modify the rules to cover your various eventualities. It's not super lightweight as in, you know, just throw a die and one to three you fail, four to six you succeed. It has mechanisms in there, and the key is just to adapt the existing mechanisms to the new use cases. And Daniel's talked about that quite a bit over on his show on Bandit's Keep. So We have one last caller today, and it is Jason Hobbs from Hobbs and Friends and Random Screed. Hey, Jason. It's the other Jason here. Hey, I was just calling because I feel like I wanted to send you a martial arts inspirational story, but I couldn't, I couldn't, quite, I couldn't quite find a way to do it. And I guess I'm just going to ramble on for a few minutes about it. I'd say as a young man, seven 
uh, deadly poisons. Is that what it is? See, like sometimes I can't remember what it's called, but I think that's what it's called. I believe what Jason is looking for here is the five deadly venoms, the Hong Kong martial arts. Well, so five deadly venoms is a movie from 1978, but it, it stars what's called the venom mob. And these are amazing martial artists who work for Shaw Brothers and appeared in a variety of different films. And you can look those up on Wikipedia. The movies are fairly accessible these days, so you can find them out there. And, you know, they really are amazing to watch these, these great athletes, you know, go at it. So I'm going to turn it back over to Jason. Centipede and the snake, and you talk about the martial arts movie yourself, and I think I love that, and it was inspiring. And uh, in my little made-up games, not necessarily tabletop game, but when my brother and I used to play make-believe, we kind of did it in a game gamified method, and uh, I'd say that was a huge uh, impact. I think Conan the Barbarian watching Conan whip his sword around and then the barbarian video game came out when you could behead your opponents. I think, and I know that's not Eastern martial art, but it was a pretty cool thing. And, uh, I have to say that the matrix gun kata type stuff really inspired me in modern style games. As long as, uh, that movie with, uh, Christian Bale, or Memento, I don't know if that was it, but uh, he's in the all white and he's going around and he's like a reverse Neo or something and shooting people in ways. I believe you're looking for Equilibrium for that movie, uh, Christian Bale. And I am also a little ashamed to say that uh, the string of Steven Seagal movies, just the in-your-face, brutal people didn't just keep getting up and up and up and continuing to fight. He would just finish them right away was something that I found really interesting. And, uh, my love of the ultimate martial artist in for the hero system, uh, is incredible because there's lots of ways that you could do different styles. You could really dig into martial arts in a way that it's difficult in other games. Cause if you like make a martial artist and you get into all the ultimate martial artist stuff, it's like playing a hacker at shadow run. If you're playing a champions game or a fantasy hero or space hero, but if everyone can dig into the ultimate martial artist and you're just a bunch of martial artists going around in whatever genre it is, I feel like there's really a lot of, of things that you can tap into and really make it a cool, a lot of martial arts. And in a martial arts game, it doesn't have to be, uh, deadly right because a lot of that is it's not it could be uh combat as war but a lot of it might be more combat as sport where you don't necessarily kill people you just beat them up and i think that's kind of a cool idea anyway i knew i owed you some martial arts stuff let me know what you think about all that later hey jason thank you so much for that call yeah i briefly looked through um lucha libre hero in anticipation of running a game using that, and that game never happened. But just looking at that and imagining how that would be expanded with other martial arts and things with the full hero system, because that just had a cut down version of the game included in that. It's an all one book. 
I could definitely see where Hero System would be great for that kind of thing. I've never played a game in Hero System. I've kind of looked at it a little bit over the years, but I'm not really familiar with it. But, you know, I've heard great things about it from the people that like it. Um, just a lot of work for the GM to build everything up was my understanding. But again, I, I don't have a lot of familiarity with that. Again, though, thank you so much for the call. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Okay, that's all I have this episode. Thank you to all my callers. Thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Thank you to Ray Otis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art. Thank you to TJ Drennan for the wonderful music and Colin Green for that great, if you don't hear your call, never fear message. And for those that have calls that they haven't heard yet, there should be another episode dropping at the end of this week with the balance of the calls. So look forward to that. Until then, be excellent to each other. Joker by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I could shoot him dead. Bring on the glow, bring on the glow. There is a dustbin in your moil's by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Don't look away Well the zombies are rising and the world's gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck